This week on Punch Mountain, it's not easy being a woman. If you're not getting kicked awake or captured by the French, you're being hunted by an invisible alien predator, all for 70% of what a man makes. Take your blood-cooling medicine because we're watching Prey. Punch Mountain starts now. Hello and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies. Not determined by us, by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I am joined, as always, by my, my favorite predator, David Hada. David, does, does that does that introduction you gotta feel quit off? Saying yeah, that. Sorry. You gotta you gotta stop telling people. I mean, look, I'm glad to be in the list of superlatives. I'm glad that I'm your favorite one. I'm glad that I might be one of the best, but um, that does me no favors to anybody. I mean, I think people get that referencing a movie. I mean, what else is, oh, no. Oh, I understand. Yeah, yeah. What a great start, Mac. How are you doing? (laughs) Are you ready to get this thing started? Uh, Yeah, we watched the movie Prey, David. It's the latest movie in the Predator franchise, the one about the aliens. And what do you think? Well, well, we're going to talk about that. I'm looking forward to it, but a little tease for you. It was awesome. It, it ruled. But I, I'm I'm concerned about this episode and where it's going to go from here because this might be the closest we get to the uh the Sharpling and Worcester bit rock rotten rule where they try to they try to create the ultimate argument settler and, you know, create the definitive ranking of uh, of bands, of, mm-hmm. of musical acts. So I'm a little concerned that uh, this movie, while it does rule, does it kick ass, Mac? That's going to be the teaser for this episode. Stay tuned to find out if this movie kicks enough ass, Mac. What do you think? I agree that this movie rules. Uh, Yeah, this movie was awesome. And it kind of cracked a new formula for like possible franchise sequels. Mm, How so? David, if you have to make the next installment in a franchise or just any sequel, what's your your go-to strategy? Go big, right? Sure, as big as I can. Alien. (laughs) Alien had one alien. Aliens had a bunch. Predator took place in the jungle. Predator 2 took place in the big old city, New York City, right? That's right. In Die Hard, he had to save, uh, John McClane had to save his wife. And in Die Hard 2, he was practicing polyamory and had to save both of his wives. That's right. In Crocodile Dundee 1, it was like a little bit of New York, a little bit of the Outback. In Crocodile Dundee 2, he, of course, fought that croc god in space. But this movie decided to basically remake Predator 1, same premise, but just use more interesting people, which I have to say, not a bad strategy. At least it pays off here uh, because this movie was awesome. I agree. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, we got to find out. Of course, it's a place on Punch Mountain and talk a lot more about it. But David, before we watch Young Comanche go in her Katam Ya, which is uh, her big hunt, hunting something that's also hunting her, let's go on our own Katam Ya of friendship, sharing with a friend who's also sharing with me, David Ada. How you doing? I'm doing well, Mac. I, I'm I'm struggling to find my energy. Uh, we record these pretty not even late in the evening. It's it's like a late supper time. But I'm so I'm so old and set in my ways now that I'm like struggling to find the energy. As I was setting up to to get ready to record, I kind of had a moment to just kind of you know relax real quick, and I just I caught myself going, ah. <sighs> Shit. And then I was like, that's not the energy I want at all. So uh, I'm trying to rally. I got uh, two Dr. Peppers. So it might be a two Dr. Pepper night. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. I think, I think you're going to pick me up, Mac, as you always do. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure considering how much mashed potatoes I just ate. <laughs> oh, no. My standard amount, a 32-ounce uh, Gatorade bottle full of them. 
that co-pilot full of mashed potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those giant insulated cups you buy at gas stations. That's the proper serving of mashed potatoes, as far as I'm concerned. I'm good. I saw something kind of weird the other day I wanted to talk about. So, you know, David, I have a, I have a kid, and we watch a lot of stuff together. And, you know, there's, there's different platforms. And the worst one by far, it may not shock you, is YouTube. What? Because, you know, you cannot control what pops up and, like, the suggested videos or whatever. And it's not like pornography or something like that. But it could be like some weird ASMR or just basically like a review of some kid playing with toys. And it's only on screen for a second, but then my kid will be like, that, 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 I want to watch that. But the other day, he's like, I want to watch some yoga. Or, and so I was like, all right, let's find a yoga video. And we found one on YouTube. It's called like Cosmic Kids Super Yoga or whatever, Yoga for Kids. And it's a video of this British lady uh, walking kids to yoga. And, you know, she's very enthusiastic, you know, very happy. And, and we've watched a couple of these videos and they're fun. And, you know, it gets him moving up and around. It's pretty good. So this one was called uh, Teddy and Tabs, A Cosmic Kids Yoga Adventure, right? That's what the this is called. And she basically tells a story of two cats, Teddy and Tabs, as she instructs you through yoga moves. There's nothing on here This is like trigger warning, heavy subject matter, nothing like that. So it turns out uh, one of the cats is very sick and they fucking die. And, oh, gosh. Yeah. And she's like, Teddy wakes up the next morning and Tabs is not moving. His body is still. Teddy is very angry at first. Okay, now lift your arms into Warrior 3. Like, it's insane. And we're sitting there, and I'm like, hey, let's watch something else. And he's like, okay. And it's just like, geez, Louise. <laughs> uh, yeah, David, so just uh, the horror is inescapable and everywhere, even during some nice calming yoga. Well, kids have got to grow up fast. Actually, speaking of, are you familiar with a show called Kotaro Lives Alone? No, I have not. Okay, it's a show. I think it's on Netflix now. It's a, It's kind of a manga series. It's about this adorable little four-year-old boy who lives alone for mysterious reasons, and uh, it has, has not failed to uh, make me cry yet. So uh, check that out. Wow. Is that anything like that movie, Totoro Enters Hospice? Because that thing was a real, <laughs> real poison drinker, if you know what I mean. Oh, my goodness. Hey, before we get bummed out anymore, uh, you want to you do this thing? Yeah, I think, Mac, we're going in. All right, David, what is your history with this movie, Prey? My history with Prey is a short and boring one because I'm just, I'm generally not interested in the Predator franchise. I never have been like, the first one came out when I was a kid. I was the perfect age to be all about Predator. And I saw it and it was just, it missed me completely. Like the second movie is probably my favorite because it, it takes place in the city. I could relate to that. Uh, I lived in a city, so I was a lot like the Predator in a lot of ways. Uh, stayed away from the third one, stayed away from the fourth one. Uh, the fifth one was on Hulu. So I was like, oh, that's cool. I'll, I'll check that out maybe one of these days. And then there was just like a lot of like 4chan stink around it. A lot of like, is it woke talk? Stuff like that. You know, there's a female lead. There's indigenous people in it. Boo hiss, that sort of thing. And I was just like, you know what? I'll bet. Wait, who was boo hissing in this? Just to, to Yes. Well, you. there was also a ghost and a snake involved. So uh, that was uh, my general audience. So, you know, it was just a lot of moaning about unnecessary stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'll bet I bet we can have a conversation in this movie without referring to any of the stuff around it. So I was just like, I'll put it on ice for a while and then I'll, I'll see it. So this podcast came along, gave me an excuse. But also, I just don't watch a lot of movies anymore, honestly. I think this might be like my third or fourth movie that from this year, from 2022, that I've actually seen. It was... Uh, I had to make time after watching the Monsters movie to watch this one. So uh, I'm glad the show gave me an opportunity to uh, expand my 2022 horizons. 
Now, when you say you don't watch a lot of movies, you mean you don't watch a lot of like new releases. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm watching a lot of old stuff, watching a lot of shows and stuff. I just, I haven't, I don't bother with a lot of newer stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I actually could relate more to the first Predator movie because I was raised in the fictional country of Valverde. I like the Predator franchise, but it's it's real disjointed. Like, nothing really feels connected. Like, who directed Predator 2? Stephen Hopkins. Stephen Hopkins. I don't even know who that is. I'm sure we'll learn later. But yeah, like, Predator 1 was great. I mean, because, you know, you had Arnold Schwarzenegger, a lot of good muscle scenes. <laughs> but also, he was finally fighting something, like, bigger than he was, instead of, like, taking on James Caan and Eraser. And Predator 2, oh, shit, Danny Glover, he's no Arnold Schwarzenegger. We're in the city. But somehow, Predator 2, in some aspects, was, like, cooler than Predator 1, even though it was definitely a lot crazier. The third one, Predators, produced by Robert Rodriguez, actually pretty entertaining, I gotta say. Hmm, okay. And then I heard, like, oh, Shane Black... He's doing another one called The Predator, and the cast is is awesome. I'm going to go see this uh, when it came out in the fucking IMAX theater, and that movie was trash. Oh, no. And so this movie comes out. It's awesome, and I got to see it on Hulu with commercials. But I saw the trailer for this one, and I was like, well, this thing looks awesome. Amber Mid-Thunder uh, I was a fan of hers from that TV show Legion, which was had a really great cast. And I was like, oh, she's she did a lot of fighting in that. She's got some action chops. But yeah, and then I remember there's some people like mad about this movie. From what I could tell, they were like, Amber Mid-Thunder is too slight of a human being to do some of the things she does in this movie. I watched it, David. I don't see a single thing she couldn't have physically done. There's a couple like exaggerated like jumps, but in terms of like lifting something, what what did what was she lifting that people were so uh, you know, up their own ass about? But that was the whole point of it is like, you know, where the predator where, you know, you had Arnold Schwarzenegger in the first one and he's this brawny guy. That one zigged and this one zagged. It's like, okay, we're going to watch someone who uses primarily their cunning. Like, they're they're a very gifted and skilled warrior, but they also know that they have limitations, and they're going to supplement those limitations with, with their cunning. So it made a ton of sense to me. Yeah, me too. I mean, it seemed like she was on board. Plus, David, uh, we're going to meet this dog later. But she was teamed up with the world's greatest dog. Sorry. Okay, David, just to give people a little bit of uh, background going to this thing, can you read the, um, well, normally you say back of the box. Did you have, do you have a box for this movie? No, Mac, this is a printout. This is a uh, Xerox printout of the description from Hulu. You printed it out on cardstock, though. That's, a, I mean, from what I can tell. Well, yeah, no, it's a sleeve. I'm hoping one day to, you know, get a physical disc of this, and maybe I'll just, I'll have a home for it. Give us the back of the, or front of the paper description. Here we go. An all-new entry in the Predator franchise set 300 years ago tells the story of a young Comanche woman, a fierce and highly skilled warrior who stalks and ultimately confronts a highly evolved alien Predator with a technically advanced arsenal. 2022, 99 minutes, directed by Dan Trachtenberg, rated R. Wow. I think it's the first quote-unquote back-of-the-box description that undersells the movie. Hmm. Barely sells the movie. I think it's really just like... (laughs) Here, fatty, here's more content for you. I really should have just said that. David, you look a little, can I say this? You look a little upset. I am upset, Mac Blake. I I, I try, I very rarely, I don't want to be the old man who yells at Cloud, but this is the first Cloud I think I'm going to yell at, and it has to do with the movie descriptions on streaming services. Like, you know, having come off of Cliffhanger, last week with that Dean Koontz novel on the back of the box. Mm-hmm. Like there was an art to it. There was, there was a, a sellability uh, of these descriptions and it feels like we're losing a little bit uh, by, by just having this 
65 words or something. I don't even know what it is. But uh, Mac, there wasn't a period among that. It was all one sentence. And so just like reading it kind of upsets me. So I, 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 I weep for the future of Back of the Box, Mac. I mean, say what you will about Netflix. They seem to have some kind of algorithm or whatever where they, they change um, the images for movies. Like, you know, if you, if you want to watch that uh, weird racist orc movie, Bright, one week you'll look it up and there'll be a picture of Will Smith. And next week you look it up and it's a picture of Will Smith and his orc buddy, uh, Joel Edgerton. And the next week it's just a bunch of orcs or it's uh, Numi Rapace. But like HBO Max, I was you know, looking through their horror section the other day. Or their image for the movie Dead Ringers, a David Cronenberg movie about Jeremy Irons playing two twins that are like gynecologists that are fucking weird. It was just a picture of one of their insane uh, gynecological instruments. But if you haven't seen the movie, you don't know what it is. It's like, okay. And there's, it doesn't say like David Cronenberg or Jeremy Irons. And man, I'm really yelling at this fucking cloud right now. But what I'm trying to say is I get it. Oh, the cloud's leaving. It worked. Old man. Old man. All right, let's get into this thing. How's this movie start? This movie starts with the classic 20th Century Fox fanfare, but now it says 20th Century Studios, so take that, Fox. We finally win one. Then we hear some Comanche that we don't understand, followed by its English translation. A long time ago, it is said, a monster came here. And my first thought when I heard a long time ago is, hell yeah, it's going to be a Star War. Here we go, extended universe, we're mixing it all. Predator fights Han Solo, but no, it says a monster came here, so it turns out it's just a Predator movie, which is fine with me. Yeah, David, it's not a galaxy far, far away. It's Canada. It seems like a galaxy far, far away. They're different up there, I swear to you. We we get the breeze blowing. We get the deer deering, and we meet our hero, Nauru, played by Amber Midthunder. She's given what I assume is a traditional Comanche good morning for all sleepy teens. She's kicked awake to begin her day harvesting in the woods. Also sleeping in Naru's tent is her super dog, Sari, who does not die. Calm down. Uh, I was watching his movie with my feral wife. And as soon as the dog was on screen, she's like, oh, fucking shit. I got to worry about this dog. And so I had to pause it and type. And I, I swear, this is weird. I typed, does the dog? And the suggested search was, does the dog die and pray? And I was like, oh, okay. We are paying a little too close attention. <laughs> but yes, the dog lives. I knew that. I had to know it from this point on. So now you know it as well, audience member. I'd say you're the better for it, audience member, because it does add a level of tension that you do not need. And if you can remove that, you could probably enjoy the movie a little bit more. By the way, this dog, sorry, I got to say, this is 2022's dog to watch in terms of movies right now. I don't know who's going to win uh, film dog of the year, but I got to say, sorry, you know, he's at least in that final heat. And so we see that Naru... She leaves her tent and she's like looking around. You can tell right away she's pretty bored by her current role, right? And I'm getting strong like uh, Belle from Beauty and the Beast vibes. There goes the woman walking that way. She's got a baby on backpack or a papoose, which, but that's actually an Algonquin term. I looked it up, so I don't know what Comanche's called backpack babies. <laughs> wow, that's great. Good job with the homework. I, I did a little bit more later. We'll find out. So we learned that Naru is very good at throwing a hatchet at trees. Mm -hmm. Then she spots a deer in the forest and so she signs the play to her super smart dog, Sari. The dog is then startled by what we can only assume is thunder, and the deer is off. And then Naru and Sari pursue, but Sari gets caught in a white man's bear trap. But uh, Naru has to stay behind, rubs some salve on Sari from her pouch, and increases the dog's health plus 10 points. So right away you might be like, Mac, what the fuck? I thought you said this dog was fine. It is fine. It strangely sets off the bear trap with its tail. Which I don't know how you, <laughs> I guess the dog 
was just wagging too hard or something. But yeah, the dog is fine. Its tail is, it's not even cut off or anything. It's just like David said, there's, there's some self. I got to say though, when, when Naru was chasing after this deer for a hot second, I was like, man, is this human dog combo? Are they going to run down this deer? Like I was, that's already pretty impressive. The fact that they were in the conversation to run down a deer is nuts. To have like Kobe and Shaq running the fast break, that was very exciting. I, I wanted to see that throughout the whole movie. Yeah, because Sari was like barking <laughs> and the deer was like, oh, I guess I'll go this way. But that was right into Naru's path. I think she did throw a hatchet if, if she did it miss because the deer got away. But like I said, you know, Naru's messing with the trap a little bit. You know, she's inspecting it because I'm assuming we've never seen anything like this. But then we hear the sound of thunder again. Naru steps out of the woods in time to see the movie's title invading her planet. Oh no, from 2022, it's prey coming down. Yeah, so you get this wide shot. I don't even notice that Naru was in the shot at first, but you see this like something entering the Earth's atmosphere. And from below where Naru is standing, it just looks like this, you know, fiery mass that's traveling in the clouds. Which, by the way, looking up and seeing like something terrifying in the sky, this is a frequent nightmare of mine where I'm just like, <laughs> Driving and I look up and I either see like some sort of weird like bridge from the earth to the heavens or missiles on their way down. And you're just like, ah, well. Also, my feral wife commented uh, when Nara was looking at the um, the thing in the sky. My feral wife goes, uh, I would just vomit my guts out right there. So there you go. But yeah, you get this beautiful wide shot of this thing traveling in the sky. And then coming down from the top of the screen, it's the title card, Prey. And it's in that Predator font. Something about that said, this movie's going to be different. It's going to be fucking good. And this is my first markout moment. Wow. Seeing this like beautiful world and then, you know, kind of like an outdated kind of cheesy font for the Prey logo. But something about the juxtaposition of it, it got me really excited. And uh, yeah, I marked out. It was a very exciting title reveal. Uh, that's awesome that you marked out. Cut to some casual hawk hunting. Nauru is bow hunting with her brother Tabe. Uh, played by Dakota Beavers. Former TJ Maxx employee, Dakota Beavers. That was the story about this guy is that he uh, he's working at TJ Maxx. We got, he got cast in this movie. Showing off the research award this week. Very nice. I, I think I knew that. <laughs> I picked that up just on my TJ Maxx listserv. Shout out to my Max heads. So Tabe is putting uh, Nauru to sleep with the story of his Kutamiya, uh, which is uh, his big hunt. Naru tells her brother she saw the Thunderbird in the sky, uh, and then instead of taking that as a sign that shit is about to get super fucked up, she interprets the sky fire as a sign that she's ready for her kutumya. Yeah, so the kutumya, it's kind of like if uh, bar mitzvahs is where you had to uh, hunt and kill something very dangerous that could kill you. That's kind of what it is. Is, is. Would you agree with that? I get the sense. Yeah, he sort of presents it that way. So, so already, you know, we get the sense this is a very serene kind of movie it's very beautiful you're mm -hmm. getting a sense of of the nature around you but i'm not noticing any like synth or drums or helicopters or muscles so i'm like is this movie just gonna be vibes like is this just gonna be like walking into h&m and it's like okay i'll browse i'm not gonna try anything on because tabi is just like blah 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 telling this story and naru pretends to start snoring because uh, he's boring her so much but this entire time like she's got her arrow drawn on her bow, and she's kind of like sighting up this hawk that's super far away. But as soon as she snores, Tabe's like, oh, fuck this. And he does this like no-look arrow shot and nails the hawk. So first thing we learned about Tabe, he's a Steph Curry motherfucker. He just, he's got the skills, okay? But also, yeah, 
she sees the alien spaceship and she's like, oh, guess what I saw today? A Thunderbird. It's a good sign. God, I wish I had that mental ability to interpret stuff as like about me in my day and not just like, this is terrible. Like imagine the 2006, no wait, hold on, 2016 election and Trump wins and you go like, huh, I think it's time for me to cut my hair into bangs. Like, no, it's not that things are terrible. It's not about you. So Tabe has this, this, you know, this makeup on him, and I don't know what else to call it besides makeup. But he's just like, you know, he's painted his face, but it's kind of split down the middle, kind of like uh, Prince in the uh, Bat, Bat Dance video. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's something about it. It's effective. Like, I I just was like looking at him with like his, his you know, face split with his makeup. And I was like, what? what? Like, I don't know why. It's the crispness of the makeup. Like, it's a very stark, here is one side white, here is one side skin. It really did feel like those Star Search contestants who used to be half Diana Ross, half Lionel Richie. Like, you could tell as soon as they turned, they were going to be someone else entirely. I need maybe talk to a neurologist about it because I, I like couldn't see both sides at once. I was like, oh, there's there's pale Tabe and then there's regular Tabe. Ah. That might be one of those noises you can't hear past the age of 25 or something. Oh, yeah. Like in Japanese stores that they keep kids from loitering. I think it was the Japanese. Who knows? But yes, uh, we get a little uh, lower third. And so we learn that we're in the northern Great Plains, 1719. We see Naru's camp life. We meet Naru's mother, Aruka, played by Michelle Thrush. We also learn that Naru and Aruka are healers, but the Naru wants to be a hunter. This is, again, more beautiful shots. You know, we, we're, we see the camp. We see, you know, the area around them. It's so pretty. I'm a little worried at this point. I, I'm worried that this movie might be too beautiful because it feels a lot like the assassination of the Predator by the coward Robert Ford, and I'm a little concerned. This movie is surprisingly beautiful. Uh, pretty sure uh, Pete Davidson is going to start dating it. Uh, <laughs> now. You can have that joke for free, uh, Jay Leno's replacement, Jimmy Fallon. Does he even do jokes like that? Or is he just like, let's play let's play ping pong or something? Yeah, he's just like, watch me drink. He's uh, the uncle we all love. Hey, he seems to be having a lot of fun. I'm not going to... Yeah, so did my uncle. <laughs> Yeah, so shout out to uh, Jeff Cutter, who's the director of photography on this thing, because this movie is beautiful. And I was like, damn, am I sleeping on Jeff Cutter? Uh, let me look at his resume. And there's nothing that really like stands out here. I mean, he did another Dan Trachtenberg film, uh, Tin Cloverfield Lane. But I don't remember leaving that movie and being like, what a gorgeous film. You know, it's funny because he was able to make Prey feel so open, and in 10 Cloverfield Lane, he did a really good job of making that feel claustrophobic as hell. So uh, good on you, Jeff Cutter, for knowing your space. You know what? That is a good point. You're trapped in like a survival bunker. You're not going to get to like Roger Deakins' vistas in there. So yeah, you know what? Uh, good job, Jeff Cutter. He also did his DP on uh, 2009's Orphan, that movie about a killer orphan. So shout out Jeff Cutter. David celebrating in the aisles, loving the orphan mansion. <laughs> he, loves a, he loves a good orphan. Movie and parentless child. There, there's a moment here where Naru is asked, you know, why do you want to hunt? And she says, because you all think I can't. And it's like, you could have put this in an envelope and mailed it directly to me. That's all the motivation I need. You got a character who's motivated by spite. I am right on board. Naru constantly underestimated in this movie to the point where it becomes a, a pretty big plot point later on. Not in the way you might think. So we get our first shot of the Predator getting dropped off by his parents to get picked up after the game. The Predator is wearing that classic look of invisible, but not really. Well, that's the thing, David, is this movie takes place like, what, 200 some years before the first Predator. Uh, Even though, you know, movie effects have improved, 
this predator should be using shittier technology, and he kind of is. Now, before someone might be like, hey, are you misgendering the predator? Look, I didn't do too deep a dive, but apparently the ones that hunt are primarily males. So I think I'm pretty sure that it's a he. Meanwhile, Nauru comes back from the trip to get some orange totsia. Uh That's a, a little flower that has healing powers. We'll get to that in a little bit. But she comes back only to find out that a mountain lion has taken one of the tribe's hunters, uh, Puhi. Uh, so a hunting pack is sent out to exact revenge on the lion and recover what's left of Puhi. Uh, Nauru offers to help with the hunt, but instead it, uh, the hunting bros dish out some of that timeless sexism. Timeless. 300 years in, <laughs> nothing's changed. Tabi vouches that Nauru is a kick-ass tracker and also happens to be a healer. So boom, she's in. Yeah, so when Nauru first catches up with the hunting pack, like Paka, he's like looking around with his, uh, his bow and arrow drawn. And then Tabi's like, hey, Paka, fucking stop because it's Nauru coming up. And Paka goes, hey, you can get shot sneaking up like that. And Nauru was like, I wasn't sneaking, idiot. And then Tabe laughs because look, Paka, she wasn't sneaking, dude. The fact that she snuck up on you means you're a shit ass hunter. If you want some classic sexism, when Nauru comes up, one of the other hunters goes, uh, why'd you come? We're not going to be out long enough to need a cook. Ooh, fuck you. Which here's what this guy didn't know he just did, which is now... I can watch this guy get murdered by the Predator guilt-free later when he gets <laughs> torn apart. I'm going to be like, good. Let's say she was a cook. First of all, fuck you. But let's say she was a cook and she wants to come on the trip. Let the cook come. Oh, my God. It's going to be better than whatever you scrounge up on the ground, right? Yeah, it's really like, hey, we don't need a cook. I'm going to do terrible all on my own. It's like, take the favors where you can get them. But she's not a cook. In fact, Tabe says... That she's a great tracker, and she's also a healer if we find uh, Puhi. And then Tabe turns to Naru and he goes, okay, well, now you have to find the lion, which is classic BS, right? You know, she can't just be another hunter. Now she's, like, got to be the best one. Otherwise, all women suck. Is this classic bullshit thrown on by the patriarchy. Even our native ancestors could still be pieces of shit. Is the, well, some of them. That's Tabe's pretty cool. If you want to hear more about that, you can subscribe to our Patriarchy. But before Nauru catches up, we also start hearing the like, or whatever that fucking like classic predator just like clicking around with his like little maracas trying to creep people out. Kind of like how a ghost will like close doors. And you're like, why is that ghost giving, why is he slamming that cabinet door? Just fucking grow up ghost. The predator too. He's got his own little like freaky, like creepy perv stuff where he's like clicking maracas around. Not maracas. What do you call those things? Hand? Uh, castanets. Castanets, thank you. Hand things, that's right. Hand things, yeah. So we get a scene here where it's it's sort of a circle of life scene where an ant is eaten by a mouse, is eaten by a snake, is eaten by a predator. This thing gets uh, ripped ripped apart unnecessarily. And then we find a big pile of lion shit. Mac, what are your, what are your thoughts on this whole uh, sequence that we just saw? I don't know. I mean, at first I was like, okay, we get it. That predator's tough, right? Because it's like, oh, uh, you know, an ant is eaten by a mouse. Oh, you think you're the top of the food chain, mouse? Now here's a snake. Oh, snake, you think you're the top of food chain? We're taking a big leap up. Here's the predator. I mean, is that what you were you were supposed to get out of it? I think it was the brutality. I think, you know, it was supposed to be like, this ain't your daddy's predator. You've never seen a snake get just skinned alive before. So, yeah, no, I'm definitely scared of this predator now. <laughs> you, you've done it, movie. Mission accomplished. Yeah, I think what we're also supposed to get from it is the fact that the predator didn't kill the mouse. He killed the snake. That's just something to keep in your mind. But it's like, okay, maybe he kills nothing. The fact that he like takes his time out to 
behead and skin a snake. It's like, yeah, hey, good job, you, you dick. <laughs> then Naru and Sari, they find Pooey. Yeah, Pooey's alive, but he's real clawed up. And wouldn't you know it, the healer Naru proves to be helpful. How, who would have thought? Suck it, Paka. <laughs> That's a fun t-shirt. Meanwhile, everyone else gets to work fashioning a stretcher. That's a very impressive sequence. Uh, we also learned that Orange Totsia is helpful for healing because it cools the blood and slows down its flow, which is good to know for later in the movie. Oh, God. So they, they build a stretcher right there on the spot. I know a lot of our listeners, they're big into minimalism. <laughs> they don't want to own anything. But look, the stretcher that they built, they started, and by the time they finished, it was nighttime. Like, it took forever to build this fucking stretcher, which, number one, amazing. Amazing that they built mm-hmm. it. Number two... If something took that long, I wouldn't even consider it as an option, right? I would just be like, 30 minutes into making the stretch, I'm like, let's just drag its fucking asses. I hate this. <laughs> Sotabe sets off to hunt the lion, and Naru's hunter sense is tingling. Uh-oh. She believes there's a reason Pui was left alive. Something scared that big cat away. Meanwhile, the rest of the pack take Pui home, and Naru finds some large tracks and the body of a skinned snake that's still moving. Gross. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Did not need. Yeah, I don't. If you see what looks like a skin snake at night, I'm not investigating that. So kudos to Naru, but also disgusting. That's no. This is uh, 300 years before tool videos, and uh, we got to see this. They don't know what they're doing with it. Look, I know a lot. Of, I got a lot of spooky friends out there. A lot of uh, the the like snakes, and they're like, oh, people are snakes get a bad rap. Uh, no, that's the uh, snakes are bad, and this is another example. Boo snakes. Down with snakes. Naru catches up to Tabe to warn him about the track she found. Tabu agrees to let Naru bait this lion and lure it out for the kill against the protests of fellow hunter Paka, played by Corvin Mack, who would rather Leroy Jenkins the lion out of the woods. Great plan, idiot. Yeah, no one's really no one's really supporting Naru. I mean, you know, God bless Tabe. He's a very awesome brother in terms of having her back and stuff like that. But even in this part, he's like, this is as far as you go. No more. This is it. That's all he provides. Like, it, it really feels like he's setting Nauru up for failure, not really setting her up for success like he should. Well, you got to keep in mind that he's also her older brother. And so it, it can't just be like a mentor-mentee relationship here. He's also like older brother-little sister relationship where it's like you, you're guaranteed to find your younger sibling uh, slightly annoying. Not me, I'm a good brother, but like some people feel that way. So while Tabe sets the bait, Paka wastes his last words on being an arrogant piece of shit, not suspecting that it's time for a brief action sequence. That's right. We got a small action set piece here. Uh, I'm going to call this thing Lion and Wait, a.k.a. When Animals Attack Number 1. Sure. The very aggressive mountain lion attacks Paka and corners Nauru on the branch of a tree, but both Nauru and the lion are startled by some alien screaming in the distance. Nauru manages to deal the lion a damaging blow before falling off the tree to her death, hitting her head on a rock and cracking it open like a coconut. End credits, Mac. Wow. Short movie, David. She did. No, David. She lived. Okay. Oh. She fell out of a tree and she hit her head on a rock and it just put her to sleep. By the way, shout out to Paka here, who is so full of shit. Because he, again, is just being like the shitty bro who's like, hey, Nauru, you ever? You're going to fail. You're not gonna, you ever hunted a lion? You, have, you ever hunted a lion before? Their mouth is full of teeth like arrows. Uh, no, they fucking aren't. <laughs> Maybe if you're a little kid drawing like shark teeth and you just do triangles. I mean, yeah, a mountain lion's got a, a mouth full of sharp teeth, sure, but they're not. 
<laughs> Not exactly like arrows, my man. And then this lion, by the way. This lion is fucking aggressive, dude, because it takes out, it goes complete black ops on Paka. Like, it just rips him out of the tree. Okay, and so with, um, what's his face? You know, Pui, when they found him, the lion was like dragging him off, I guess, to eat him, right? But he was still alive. Lion kills Paka real quick. Because I guess the lion is like, I got to take out two. So he gets Paka down and I guess chomps through his throat or something because he's dead. And then the po- the lion quickly is like, no, I'm onto you. Like he's like, <laughs> pivots real quick to Naru. It's like, uh, oh, animals, if you if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone. No, this lion definitely wanted Naru dead. It's like nobody told the lion that the movie wasn't about the lion. It was like, here, I'm the star of the show. And it's like, no, 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 you don't have to be this much. There's a predator after all of us. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay. The prey, that's who I'm hunting, me, Johnny Lyon, star of this movie. So yes, David, spoiler, Naru lives, right? And she wakes up back at the camp, being tended to her mama, Ruka. Turns out Tabe went back out to finish off the lion, but Naru's got to warn him, hey, dude, there's something else out there, okay? But Tabe returns triumphant, holding the lion's head. Gross! And Tabe is instantly made the new war chief. Everyone celebrates, but Naru knows better here. Yeah, really gross stuff, uh, a little disgusting, and my familiarity with Jaws tells me where we are in the movie, because this is the this is the uh, the false shark. This is the tiny one that they caught, and they're like, yay, the movie's over. It's not over. There's plenty of movie left. Uh, in fact, I kind of felt bad because, you know, this is Tabe's moment of triumph. This is the biggest moment of Tabe's life, and we have 70 minutes of movie left, so this movie is going to eclipse anything he's done by leaps and bounds. Tabe is instantly promoted to war chief. I guess this lion was a problem for a while. Because as far as I know, they're like, oh, there's a lion. Oh, Tabe killed him. Ah, Tabe, you're a new number one. This is almost like that team hiring Jeff Saturday. You got to interview some other candidates, right? But no, I, I, I got a feeling that old war chief, like he wanted to get out of there. You know what I mean? Because he was like, hey, this he killed a lion. New war chief right here. New war chief. I'm done. I wouldn't doubt it if the war chief was doing the murders and blaming it on the lion just to get out of there. Yeah, you could tell he was, he had to be pretty tired of that job because there wasn't even like, uh, he wasn't even like, well, I don't know. He just was like, hey, this guy did a thing. He's, he's the thing now. Uh, but Tabe is all sad that Nauru isn't worshiping his little lion kill because Nauru knows there's more out there. But Tabe doesn't think Nauru has the closing speed to be a good hunter. So he's just like, hey, slow your roll, Nauru. You, you got to stay in your lane and other cliches. Cut to the next morning, Naru gets kicked awake again, back to being a woman, right? Oh, boy. Naru decides nuts to this and goes off on her own to hunt whatever is out there. Uh, I like this moment because in contemporary movies, this would be like an escape sequence where, uh, you know, she unfurls a map and she climbs through the vents or she waits for the door to swing open at the right time. This one, she just went the other way. Like everyone's going to work and she just goes that way. There was a moment, though, when she's, like, tracking the animal out there, and she she takes out a stick and measures the footprint of the stick and holds it up. It's like, whoa, that's a big footprint. What is that? Who does that help other than the audience? Like, because she's not going to walk around showing other people the stick, you know? It's really just for us. I think she, that was maybe her intention was to show people the stick. But you're right, like... If the if the rest of her tribe was already skeptical that there's some monster out there, her showing him a random stick and being like, see this stick? That's how big its foot is. They're not going to be like, well, that is a stick. Incontrovertible proof. So you're right. It probably was just for us. But David, now it's time for us to learn about that circle of life again because we get a, a wolf sequence. That's right. Yeah, we get a wolf who hunts a bunny and then is hunted and slain by the invisible predator. Now, this was, you know, he, he, the predator... Kills the wolf and like 
rips the head off of the dog, spine and everything. It is a straight up Mortal Kombat fatality. And Mac, I don't enjoy it. Like, am I too old? What What is wrong with me that I don't think this is cool? No, I, I mean, it's not a bad wolf. It's just a wolf, right? I mean, this scene... Again, like the predator, you know, this is this classic predator move is to rip out someone's uh, spine and skull. But also, this predator is a jerk. Because first thing when the wolf comes, uh, when they, when they meet, the predator kicks the wolf pretty far, which makes me wonder because the predator is invisible at this point. I just get the impression that like I don't know if the predator ran up to kick the wolf or the the wolf just happened to bump into the predator, but he boots him pretty hard. Now, David, here's the thing. For some reason, if there is a live action animal in a movie and something bad happens to that animal, I mean, not necessarily like, you know, you see it, but like it could get shot off screen. That doesn't bother me because I, it's very easy for me to remember that this dog is an actor, right? That right off frame, there's its trainer, like holding up a carrot, like giving it hand signals, telling it to jump. For that reason, the reality of an animal getting hurt doesn't sink in. But for some reason, with like CGI animals, even if they look super fake, for some reason, CGI animals dying, I feel that more. Maybe it's the same way that you might feel uh, bad for a, a Pixar character, you know, when they get whatever happens to them in a classic Pixar movie, uh, you know, uh, some sort of cancer, right, that takes them in the end. But yeah, for some reason, seeing this CGI wolf die, I did not enjoy it one bit. Well, it's like CGI excuses brutality, where, you know, if you have a real wolf then the wolf handlers are like, okay, you can't lift it up and snap its spine. But if it's a CGI wolf, oh, then you can do all kinds of things with it. So there's a, there's sort of a ghoulish glee to see, to putting a CGI animal in a movie because you know you're going to kind of fuck it up, and that's fucked up in itself. Also, what are we doing here again with this scene? Because we're getting another, like, oh, it turns out Predator's, you know, top of the food chain again, like... Again, this idea that the predator only kills other predators is what we learn later on in the movie. So are we supposed to be learning that here? Or is it just more predator being shitty? Or do we just want to set up the fact that predator now is a dog skull? It's Yeah, because it also, it's not, it's betraying the rules of predator as a hunter that we turn to later in the movie where, you know, he has... He has a code of honor when it comes to hunting bait or when it comes to hunting the defenseless and stuff like that. So you have to imagine he, as the predator, knows I've got this wolf overmatched, but yet he still brutalizes it anyway. It it, it, it It's inconsistent and it doesn't really fit. I guess you could look at it. He's doing some warm-up kills because he's like, oh, before I kill some, um, some trained Comanche warriors or some French trappers later in the movie, I'm just going to warm up a little snake wolf. You know what I mean? But then we cut back to Nauru. Nauru's having her own little training sequence, or as I like to call it, a rope hatchet sequence, because uh, she ties a rope to her hatchet, and then she uses it to clean up on rabbit. Yeah, so she's trying to kill some rabbits with a hatchet, and she sucks. But then she's like, what if I could pull that hatchet right back to my hand real quick? She ties a rope around it, and guess what? It fucking works. And this is going to be my first mark out moment. I like when people cobble together weapons or tools or stuff like that especially like the fashioning of it and the testing it out and like kind of the ash testing out his chainsaw and saying groovy that sort of thing so this was right up my alley i thought it was awesome Nauru wanted to she could have stopped right there and just lived out the rest of her days on the riches she made from this amazing invention because it works like a works like a charm some dude later some shitty hunter's like oh your hatchet need a leash yeah you're jealous that she invented this awesome fucking hatchet because it comes in handy nine other times in the movie. 
Nara's she's not gonna quit there. She keeps going. She's got some some predator stuff to do, right? Uh, but first, she's got some rabbit to kill. She kills a whole slew of rabbits, and she has a cute little moment with Sari where she's you know built a fire and she's cooking up the rabbits, and she turns to Sari and she says, "Next time, you're cooking." Which, look, I get you're alone and you need to fill pages of a script, but I'm I'm really starting to feel like Sari could have been Josh Gad in a different draft of the movie, like just a wisecracking best friend who just you know sits on a pie. They get their their penis caught in a bear trap, and it's like, oh, you gotta suck the poison out. It's like there's no poison; it's a trap. Uh, I I kind of want to see that draft of the script. But Naru and Sari, they're back at it. They're hunting. But meanwhile, we see the predator. He's making a cool new skull for his bracelet. He's spraying that wolf skull with some terrible sort of hydrogen peroxide and all the flesh is melting away. Disgusting. Naru happens upon a field of skinned bison. We also learn the predator smokes cigars. Oh, wait. Or maybe they're also probably white dudes around. Oh, great. Here come some white dudes. Here come the white dudes. Great. Who needs them? This movie does, apparently. Yeah, because at first you're like, you look at these uh, giant uh, meaty bodies and you're like, what has this predator done now? But then you're like, wait, hold on a second. The heads are still attached. Predator didn't do this. And then Nauru finds a Swisher Sweet and she realizes ah, this is the uh, preferred smoke of uh, French trappers of this era. Uh, Also, you couldn't have like made burgers out of those bison? Like save one of those. Hey, eat good. Yeah, I guess they're just uh, skin traders. I mean, I know it's a cliche to say that a lot of natives would use every part of the buffalo or whatever. Uh, the French use more than one part, right? Just <laughs> skin's good. We're gone. What about all this food? No, 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 no. Don't need. Uh, they just really. No, no, no. We've got wine. <laughs> yeah, they really. They don't give a shit. So then we get a sequence where Nauru is is wandering through the forest and she falls into some bog sand, quick bog. We don't know yet. Anyway, the script gives her and the rope hatchet something to do while Detective Predator works the case of the skinned bison. You see him, like, checking out the cigar, uh, you know, looking for clues. It's 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 a pretty great sequence. Yeah. You see his invisible hand. Well, sort of invisible. You know what I mean. Predator invisible. It holds, uh, it picks up the cigar, and, you know, the Predator's got to be like, oh, other hunters around. Like, he, he's probably getting super excited. But, yeah, so this uh, bog sand or quick bog, I said out loud, is that quicksand? Yeah, it's it's swamp silt is what it is. God, if only she had something to get her way out of this predicament. You know what? There's, there's not much you can do to hold my attention in this sequence when everyone's first thought is immediately, oh, thank God she made rope hatchet, trademark, 2022, pray. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm starting to worry a little bit at this point in the movie because, you know, we've had a few scenes back to back to back. It's either convenient plot devices or there's unnecessary, you know, cruelty towards the animals, that kind of thing. And I'm wondering if the movie's kind of starting to dig itself a little deficit. And, I, and I'm hope, I'm holding out hope that it can it can rally. Little did I know that this is Chekhov's quick bog that's going to come into play later in the movie. But again, the rope hatchet saves the day. She could have stopped right there. She could have been on TV like Billy Mays, like pitching these things. She just could have just, you know, been bringing the world her amazing inventions. Now, you're like, oh, Mac, do you mean Billy Mays, like Billy Maize, like, you know, corn? No, I don't, because that's actually, David, people think it's from Mays is like an Aztec term or some tribes that are native to southern Mexico or some islands around there. And we're up north in Canada. So, no, I did not make that joke. I have no follow. I have no tag. <laughs> I'm really, I'm just impressed with the amount of research. I'm just going to keep saying it every single time. There's, there needs to be like a little bell. Like a little like horn or something throughout the episode where we like, that's a Mac. <laughs> well, it's just, look, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm not a scholar, but you know, there's so many different native tribes and so many different languages. And the fact that like, I, I found myself like saying papoose and I'm like, wait, papoose, that cannot be an all native term. 
No, I'm, I'm teasing you a little bit. And, you know, I, I find that also very admirable that you're doing that because that's what putting this movie in that setting is supposed to inspire out of people. You know, I want to learn more about this. I want to get the context of this time and place so that, you know, when you see stuff at the end, you know, uh, or when you see the French trappers and related to that time, it resonates more. It makes more sense. And I, you know, I'm teasing you, but that's awesome that you did the work. Well, just, I mean, like <laughs> it's been too long on it. Let's, uh, Slow your roll. I just didn't want to make an inappropriate Billy Mays joke, so let's... But you know what? I will accept that. Hero's medal. But Sorry, where the fuck was Sorry during all this? America's best dog, right? Or Canada's best dog. North America's best dog. Uh, the world. 1719's best dog. Um, Sorry comes back after Naru was able to rescue herself. Sorry's got a little rodent in, in its mouth. And I like how the script had to account for Sorry's absence. It's like, because you know, some jackass was sitting at home like, Oh, you're telling me Sorry's not around. Man's best friend. Can't be can't be there to help Naru. Naru is awesome, right? However, Tabe's right. She's young, she's inexperienced, and I gotta take Naru to task right here. Because when you get out of the bog, the first thing you do is you put up a fucking sign or some rope or some sort of thing that says, Hey, there's a bog here, right? Because if she didn't have that rope hatchet, she'd be at the bottom of the bog right now. B O B, bottom of bog. But no time for that now. Naru is in the middle of Hunting a bear, or trying to hunt a bear, which means it's time for another action set piece. I call this one Bear versus Everybody, a.k.a. When Animals Attack, number two. So, Naru's trying to hunt this bear. Uh, her bow breaks. The bear hears it break and switches to murder mode. Uh, so, Sorry is like, oh, I'll be a good wingman. Leads the bear away from Naru, and then Naru gives chase to all of them. But then here comes Sorry and the bear. What? They're coming back? The bear corners Naru in a beaver lodge, which is a perfect seat to watch the predators show up and fight and slaughter the bear. One thing real quick that bothered me about this scene is, you know, Naru's trying to, this is her first real opportunity to prove herself as a hunter. And wouldn't you know it, the bow breaks. So like I need, as as a as an audience member, I need to know how often bow breakage occurs. Is this a common occurrence? Because if the movie had just taken 30 seconds earlier to set up like, oh boy, you know, Anything can surprise you from a, from a, a bird coming out of nowhere to your bow breaking. Because, like, if the movie wants us to believe that Naru deserves this opportunity, you're really going to, like, sabotage her like that? Like, oh, rats, my damn bow. Like, that kind of bothered me a little bit. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Maybe Tabe could have been like, oh, you're, you're always, you're too aggressive with your bow. You got to make sure it doesn't break. And she could have been like, eat shit, Tabe, or something. But, yeah, it, it was it was bad timing. But for, so this bear... When it hears the bow break, again, like the mountain lion, David, these animals are not fucking around. They are very aggressive. I mean, that whole thing of like, oh, what do you do, David, when a bear approaches you? What are you told to do? Yeah, you play dead. Yeah, I'm more convinced now than ever that that is bear propaganda. There's no way. This bear was like, someone's here. I'm going to murder it. Like, it was going hard after Naru. Definitely was not leaving until it tasted some delicious human meat. But just as we think this bear is going to break through this, this beaver hut and kill Naru, the bear's like, whoa, whoa, something else is here. And yeah, that something else is the motherfucking predator. And the predator and the bear have a fight. And this is my second markout moment. Because there's a, one specific shot where you see the predator wrestling the bear. And predator's pretty big. And it, it's like a moment where the predator's camouflage kind of flickers off. And man, just that shot of the predator wrestling a bear. I just was like, oh, this fucking rules is what I think I said out loud. So that was definitely my second 
mark out moment that uh, this predator he's 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 a tough motherfucker because he he took down this uh, took down this bear. I, I wasn't quite there with it. It was an it was an awesome sequence. It's one of those things that it almost feels like it would have played better in a graphic novel where it's like the predator is fighting a bear. Hell yeah, this is awesome. And like now he's lifting the bear over his head and he's covered in blood and you could see the form of the predator. Like it was awesome in the movie, but it just didn't it didn't I didn't mark out for it. But there was this weird. I, I kind of flipped a little bit on my on my lack of bloodlust with the with the dog or, or with the wolf earlier, and you know he's got the bear, he's fighting the bear, he's he's got it clearly. Uh, you know the victory is at hand. How do you not rip that bear in half? Like that's already that's what I was expecting. You've already deboned a dog. You know if we're in for a penny, let's go in for a pound and let's see that bear get ripped in half. The predator lifts the bear into the air and then just like lets the blood pour all over it first of all this predator is fucked up that's some that's some weird he's probably like a dexter you know what i mean he's killing some people but because this he's now covered in blood the predator is now like sort of visible you know because he's you know you can't really like make out his features because he's covered in blood but you can definitely tell that hey this predator looks different than the predator i remember from 1987's film predator so that's the first hint that this predator ain't your daddy's predator he's your predator i guess David, if I say Predator one more time, oh, there it is. I set the record for most boring podcast. Here we go. But Naru, <laughs> while the Predator is, you know, having himself a little uh, one-man blood rave, Naru escapes, right, in, in, in the river. Yes, uh, Naru escapes, uh, stumbles across the search party looking for, led by Wasape. Wasape was played by Stormy Kip. Naru compares the Predator to uh, Mopizzi, a legendary creature from stories, and everybody immediately laughs at her because those were made-up stories. No one believes her, yet they can't leave her alone. Now beats up Wasape. Uh, they get into a little bit of a scrape, and then Wasape uh, tricks her into a sucker punch and drags her away. I hated this fight, David. And I don't mean I hated watching the fight. I mean, because it did make sense in the story, but I, I just hated that it had to happen because the the party was like, look, Tabe says, he's new war chief. He says, we have to bring you back. And she's like, no, I'm not going back. And she decides to physically attack him. So at this moment... They're going to keep fighting. This thing's going to escalate. And it just, it didn't need to. It made sense for both characters to do this. But I just, I'm trying to say is I I took no pleasure in this part of the story, I guess. I just was like, no, I I fuck it. It's like two, it's like characters doing, making bad decisions. Same. Yeah. Again, you know, feeling the movie kind of sink into this deficit with this scene where, you know, to, to the scene's credit, the fight choreography is awesome. Like they do a really good job of, of going to town on each other, but it does kind of feel a little out of place with the rest of the movie. Yeah. And Naru does, you know, win. she beats up Wasabi and Wasabi's like, fine, go. We didn't want you anyway. And then when she turns around to leave, I don't know if it's Wasabi or somebody else, but they sucker punch her right there. So, I mean, it, it's not a matter of like, you're making Naru look bad or something like that. It just was, it was, it was shitty uh, of these characters. And of course I don't like watching our hero Naru get, beaten up by these dudes i didn't care for that but hey it's a story we are watching anyway the search party they stop to rest for a second and they hear more uh, creeping what does that mean david it means the castanets are here uh click 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 uh no there's a predator in the trees so wasape's mad that Nauru isn't impressed with their possum kill because they think they found the source of all this noise in the forest and a bunch of possums come running their way and so they kill one of them and Wasape is all uh, happy about it. He runs out into the middle of the forest field to go and show off the new kill. And then he gets straight up laser darted. And so uh, the Predator kills a party in another action sequence. I'll call this action sequence, this party sucks. Because this party does suck. 
Because uh, Dave, you ever go to a party and just everyone gets murdered by the predator? Uh, more often than I can count. Yeah, that's a terrible party, man. It's a shitty party. This sequence, though, it builds. It's really awesome because the first kill, it feels kind of tame. And it's like they're just showing it off to the side or they're just pulling away right before you really see the bloody aspect of it. I'm like, man, are they trying to show this movie in schools? What are we What are we holding back on? But then those next two kills. Okay, well, this is a violent movie now. Yeah, the, the hunting party or search party here, they do okay. Like, you know, if this was me and you, David, I don't want to speak out of turn, but uh, I would be uh, terrified shitting myself and running as fast as I could. But these guys put up a fight and they, they do okay for, you know, for being uh, completely outclassed by a giant predator. But the the final kill here is, I forget, I don't know who it is, but he, he stabs the predator in the foot and the predator's like, oh, I fucking hate this. And so he manages to stab this guy to a tree to like a fallen tree, just stab him, like pin him to a fallen log here. And in the same moment, also make a move and cut off both his legs. And David, I did not mark out, but I did say Jesus fucking Christ, which maybe that's something <laughs> we need to start tracking is how many JFCs are in this movie. Because I definitely, when, he, when the dude lost his legs, I go, Jesus fucking Christ. But you're right. These were intense. Oh, if, if we're counting JFCs, yeah, this, this movie's going to go supermarket sweep in the second half with JFCs. Uh, but in this sequence, we also get our first full look at a fully visible predator. He, The predator is still wearing his, his predator mask, but the mask is different than what we've seen from other predators in the past. And I did a little research into it. David, you ready for some predator talk? I'm ready for some Mac facts. Let's go. So David, not all of my research is good. It's into some made up shit. So David, you know how the alien in the movie Aliens, it's, it, you know, even though you and I can just call it an alien, they also call it a xenomorph. I guess I did not know a lot about predators like they're kind of what you're talking about with the predator franchise i i like these films but i kind of never really cared about the predators like i always kind of viewed the predators as like kind of like rednecks maybe like well what would you do if your uh, your weekend is like oh i watched uh the glass onion the knives out mystery it's like what'd you do for your weekend i went hunting like i just figured the predators were those people they were like uh they punched that clock friday at five and then they traveled to another planet and you know do a little human hunting or whatever Predators, according to the internet, are not are actually called uh, yauchas. Is the name of like their species or whatever. I I was looking up. I I typed why predator and prey look different, and I found some comments from uh, designer Michael Vincent who worked on the movie. But first of all, they call this predator in this movie the feral predator. Oh. Somebody asked uh, designer Michael Vincent about it. He said genetic isolation with different environmental pressures yields a variant of yaucha. Sorry, yaucha, adapted to a drier climate. It has thinner, waxier dreads, thicker oral tissue, and scalier skin for moisture retention. Favors a crushing bite because it has a different diet than the other predators. On one hand, I do not care about all this. On the other hand, I think it's awesome. I don't need it to enjoy the story. Kind of like, I don't need, how does Superman like fly? Or how does Invisible Woman see things when she's invisible? You know what? I don't need that to enjoy those stories, right? But at the same time, this isn't someone pulling something out of their ass. This is a lot of thought going into the design of these predators. And this kind of science fiction, you know, sometimes is how actual science gets made, you know, occasionally. So, yeah, I, the fact that they, and look, I did not do that deep of a dive into this, David. There's a lot more that Michael Vincent had to say if you want to look up his comments. But yeah, they definitely put some thoughts on this predator. This predator is different than the other ones we've seen. I will say one thing they said, which I don't know if it was interesting to you or not. But they talked about its diet. 
Apparently this predator likes eating bone. So that's another fun Mac fact about the feral predator from this movie or the feral Yaucha is a, it's a bone eater. Well, I'm glad you said that, believe it or not, uh, because let's walk back to that lion shit scene uh, from a little bit ago. I'm going to run back to that scene. (laughs) Tripping over lion shit on the way. I, I got the sense that the movie was trying to make it ambiguous as to whether that was lion shit or predator shit. Do you have a, a thought as to whether or not it might have been? Uh, you know, <laughs> I was about to say, I didn't give two thoughts about that shit as opposed to giving two shits about that thought. But no, I didn't give that. I didn't give that shit a second thought. Okay, because they even made a mention of like, well, there's bone in this, so it's got to be a lion. And I was like, that's an odd That's detail true. To they did. Interesting. So the fact that we had to like go find supplemental material to back this up is uh, it's a reward in itself. Yeah. I mean, putting this level of thought into a movie doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. Because look at those Michael Bay Transformers movies. He, there's clearly a lot of thought how those robots into trucks or whatever. Yeah, they found a place on that body for every spark plug and it still didn't save the Yeah, but, but this thing, you want to put that much thought into it? Hell yeah, that's really cool. So anyway, now Rue's on the run from the Predator. Uh, she sprints out into a field and runs into Itzy, played by Harlan Blaine Kitwahat, who thinks he has this Predator. But as Nauru points out, the Predator has them. Itzy gets killed and Nauru tries to escape but gets caught in another foothold trap. The Predator decides chasing Nauru is no fun anymore and leaves, but oh great, here come the white dudes. This scene has some really cool shots of some Inviso running, like you see Itzy and Nauru running away, and then you see behind them, there's clearly a line in the grass as something is tracking them. And then the Predator catches up to Itzy, and just basically, invisible blood explosion happens. And so the next time you see the shot, it's you see some bloody legs with no upper, with invisible upper torso. Some bloody legs running, and then the trail it leaves in the grass is now a bloody trail. So it's pretty fucked up. I mean, it's a classic thing of like, oh, you know what's scarier than uh, seeing a monster? Not fucking seeing it. And this uh, this was a little hybrid there, and it was it was cool shots, but terrifying. But when the predator meets these French trappers, he's like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna hang back for a second to see what's up with these dudes instead of murdering them right there. A lesser podcast would make jokes that the French people smell. Not on this one. We're classy as fuck on this thing. So Nauru is captured by French trappers, the real predators, right? Think about that. Uh, she's questioned by Raphael, played by Bennett Taylor, who seems nice, I guess. Yeah, he seems like a good he seems like a good one. Yeah, one of the good ones, sure. I guess the French trappers know something's up because Raphael asks about the predator. Big Beard, played by Mike Patterson, reveals they have captured Tabe, and they are going to torture him if Nauru refuses to help. First of all, I gotta say, I was relieved that these white dudes were French, because it's it's nice to finally have some non-Americans being shitty for once. You know what I mean? Kick your feet up. It feels good. White Americans were the fucking worst. And so why do you think so many of our movies are about Nazis? They're the only people. Uh, said, so to have some <laughs> French be shitty for a change. Ah, c'est la vie. So I have a question for you, David. The French that these trappers are speaking is not translated in the movie. Because we're, you know, we're supposed to be in the same boat that Nauru is in where she cannot understand them. Raphael, however, starts speaking in English to Nauru. Now, when I say in English, that's the language all the characters in the movie are speaking, even though they're, you know, in real life are speaking Comanche because we're a movie, it, you know, it's being instantly translated in English, you might say. So is Raphael in this scene, are we supposed to be believing he's speaking Comanche or English? Comanche, right? That's my sense. I, I get the sense that the movie 
is taking some license and saying, look, we'll just cut out the middleman, translate it for you. You can understand this. We don't need to be apocalypto. We don't need to be uh, so accurate to a fault. I mean, even though they are speaking English to us, which is supposed to be Comanche, there are some times when they just speak Comanche or use Comanche words. And I think I decided to not care about that. I feel like that's great. You know, pepper it in. Why not? That feels good. I'm not going to be some like weird stickler and be like, it's all or nothing, you know. Her name's not Naru, call her Nancy or something like that. So Naru and Tabe uh, are being used by the French trappers as bait to catch a predator, copyright 2004 NBC. While the trappers are trying to catch the predator, the predator has already caught the trappers. We'll call this action sequence not much of a resistance because they don't put up one. Predator easily slaughters the trappers, leaving Naru and Tabe to fend for themselves. Thankfully for them, the predator doesn't want bait even more thankfully for them, Naru figures it out and lets us, the audience, know. Very helpful. So while they're they're tied up as bait, Tabe starts gassing up Naru. He's like, hey, you know what I I did to catch that lion? I, I did it your way. I used your method of baiting the lion to catch him. So you're actually pretty awesome here. So Tabe, proving he's a good dude, maybe, I don't know if he's thinking, hey, we're going to die here. If he's thinking, I need Naru, top of her game. But either way, uh, instead of freaking out, he's telling Naru that, you know, the ruby slippers were inside her the whole time. At some point, Tabe says, so wait, hold on, is that, is that thing that you're, you're talking about is the predator? Is that what you chose for your katumya? And she's like, yeah, I guess. But David, here's the thing. He's asking, is the predator what you chose to go after on your, you know, your big hunt, hunting something that uh, can also kill you? But David, that's also what the predator is doing. You know, the predator is also hunting things that could hunt it. Oh, man. Two sides of the same coin movie. What have you done? Do you think the predator is also a teen? Oh, interesting. Again, David, I think predators are all rednecks. So I picture this predator as at least like uh, late 20s to to 40s listening to whatever whatever the predator equivalent of Alan Jackson is. Way down yonder in their predahoochie things, kid. Hotter, but I've been genetically engineered to sustain them. I believe are the lyrics to that song. Rolls off the tongue. Uh, speaking of classic lines, this scene is going to have my second mark out moment because we get the line we paid the $48 to hear. Tabe, you know, they're tied up and he's, like you said, he's trying to gas up Naru. And she's like, I don't, I don't think we can kill this thing. And Tabe says, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Folks, this is why we came here. You want to be able to shoehorn that classic line into the script. They were able to do it really well. It, it fit perfectly. It was exactly what I needed as the audience member to kind of get gassed up myself and get ready for the second half of this movie or get ready for the final you know, portion of this movie. Came along at the right time. I marked out. Yeah, if you see a Star Trek movie, you're going to need to hear uh, Scotty say, I can't do it or whatever their classic catchphrases are. I was not expecting you know, any sort of, no pun intended, trappings of the Predator franchise to be thrown in here other than, you know, the fact there's a fucking Predator. So yeah, the fact that they got that line in like that and it felt good, it definitely, I, I enjoyed it. So the Predator takes out the rest of the trappers. Uh, he also introduces a cool new weapon. It's like a slap bracelet, but it cuts through things. So it's like an early slap bracelet, if you remember those. Oh yeah, David. <laughs> Just slicing skin of 10-year-olds left and right. Okay, so this whole thing, it's going to have... My markout moments three and four, back to back. And that's going to be the trapper stack and the squeezing ropes. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So the trapper stack is when the predator uses like his little uh, his little prongs, his little uh, wolverine claws, <laughs> and shoots them up in the head of uh, one of the trappers. 
And then he sees another trapper. He's like, well, you know, hey, double my pleasure. And uses the Wolverine claws with the trapper still on them to stack another one on top to spear them both. I thought that was awesome. I thought that was really cool. And then the squeezing ropes. Uh, so he's got one of the trappers cornered. He throws this little net on them. And you think the net's, net's just to capture the trapper, right? No, it's not. It uh, just it constricts and it slices the guy into little pieces. Uh, I, that was awesome as well. Here we have my second JFC of the movie. As when that dude got killed by the, as David called it, the squeezing ropes, I said out loud, Jesus fucking Christ. Because so I, I was like, wait, I I feel like this is the fact that it was like a, a razor net. I was like, I feel like I've seen this before. Is this Was this in Predator 2? And I looked it up and sure enough it was. But in Predator 2 it was nowhere near this disgusting because they could just like cuts into people, you know, basically killing them. But this dude, it literally just chopped them up into like little chunks and they just all kind of poured down. It was kind of dark, so it wasn't as like vivid as it could have been, thank God. But it was real gross. Uh, so yeah, it definitely was a, a, a kill to remember, which I think that was a rejected uh, James Bond movie. By the way, we said this way earlier. <laughs> you said Bo Breakage at some point, and I made a mental note of like, what a cool action name that is, Bo Breakage. <laughs> and then I totally forgot, but you know what? I'll say it right now. There's never a bad place to put Bo Breakage in the show. Breakage, Bo Breakage. Yeah, so, you know, I'm enjoying those those first two uh, mark out moments of the sequence. This is a moment for me where I check my watch, and normally that's kind of a bad thing where I'm like, oh, how much time is left in this movie? This was a good thing for me because I wanted to see how much time was left in this movie and see if there's enough time for this movie to rally in my mind. Because up until now, the movie's been good. It's, it's held my attention. It's been very entertaining, but it hasn't been an action movie. It hasn't had the same kind of beats of, of action sequences, you know, pacing throughout the movie. It's really kind of backloading and it's doing an impressive job so far, but I just want to know if it's going to have enough time to do what it wants to do to win to win my love, I guess, for lack of a better term. So when so when the predator throws the trap, uh, I'm wondering if I have to ration the rest of my mark out moments. Actually, yeah. And then we get a little scene here where three of the French trappers fire their muskets at the predator, who I think using like an insta shield dodges or you know he blocks the bullets. And then after they fire their muskets, there's a funny moment where then the three French trappers have to go about the. 30 second process of like reloading them, like tearing the cartridge, putting the ball in, putting the powder, shoving it down with their little powder sticks. And it's very funny because just imagine the predator who's like in like kill, kill, kill mode. And these dudes are like, hold on a second. And then they got to do this thing. It's just, it's just ridiculous. They're so outclassed in this, uh, in terms of the uh, armament that the predator has. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, thank goodness I didn't see this in a theater, specifically in like certain parts of Texas, where someone would have stood and been like, you wouldn't have had that problem with an AR-15. Could have shot that predator to the kingdom. It's like, you're you're talking over the movie and you're spitting on me. Please don't. Please sit down. Uh, but then you mentioned that shield, that he's got that little uh, wrist rocket shield or whatever. And that's going to lead to mark out moment number wow. five. All ideas of, of rationing mark out moments are out the window. <laughs> Because uh, we get a tree heading, and that's when he's got one of the trappers pinned up against a tree. He uses his uh, his shield to slice the tree and the guy's head off in one smooth motion. I loved it. Yeah, so he pins his dude to the tree, and then the dude, like, you know, he's holding him by the throat. The predator is holding the French dude by the throat. And the, the, the trapper pulls out a knife, and then the predator, like, he, you know, he's still holding him by the throat against a tree. 
And then he slowly like looks over at the knife, like, what the fuck is this? And then he looks back at the trapper and the look of the trapper's face is just like, yeah, I know I'm dead. <laughs> and then he activates his little, you know, his Insta shield. And it, like David said, it uh, cuts off his head and the tree. Uh, we also get one uh, near mark out moment for me. Uh, one of the trappers tries shooting uh, the predator and the, the round ricochets off the predator's kill helmet and right back into the trapper. I, 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 I was like, yes, uh, it was very cool. Yeah, so this movie, it's definitely not resting on its laurels in terms of action. It's still trying to find inventive kills. You know, you got to give it some credit because, like, uh, how many times you watched, uh, like, those Zack Snyder, you know, DC movies, too many times it's just like, oh, this guy punches this guy, this guy punches this guy. It just kind of blends. So they're definitely mixing up a little bit of the slaughter here, which is is appreciated. But while all this is going on, Tabe and Naru are still tied up on the stake, ostensibly, you know, as bait. Yeah, and so Nauru comes up with a plan to get them out of there. Uh, she notices a, a trap nearby, and she's like luring Tabe Tabe's hand close to it. She's telling the story of a, of a beaver who was, you know, trapped and it had to like gnaw its arm off or something like that in order to get free. And Tabe's like putting two and two together, and he's like, "Oh no, uh, Nauru's gonna force me to gnaw my arm off." But you know, of course not. She's she's just gonna force him to lose his arm in the trap. But no. She's not. She's. This is all a, an elaborate ruse. Uh, she's just using the trap to cut the ropes. And she even uh, finishes the story by saying, well, I'm, I'm smarter than a beaver, uh, which is very cute. But I feel like a beaver would have communicated the plan first. Yeah, it, de- it definitely was like, oh, we're fucking around now? That's smarter than a beaver line. It might have been pretty stupid. It did make me smile. So I guess I enjoyed it. If I had to play movies advocate, I would say maybe... Maybe she was like so bored of like Tabe's story that she's like, I'll tell you a fucking story too. And the plot is I'm smarter than a goddamn beaver idiot. Uh, However, if that was her motivation, that would have been real weird in this moment. So yeah, maybe just a little excuse here to get kind of a a fun line in, but didn't completely make sense, but whatever. So the predator has had enough and bombs the remaining trappers. Meanwhile, Nauru and Tabe get free. Tabe goes to get horses and Nauru goes back to the trapper camp to get Sari. Uh, the Predator kills more trappers with his power glove, and Naru dispatches a bunch of trappers with her legs and fists and rope hatchet. So we get a, a nice little fight sequence uh, where Naru's dispatching a bunch of trappers. Yeah, I'll call this short action set piece. Oh, y'all don't know about Naru? Because Naru does in this moment, you know, show off her fighting skills. Because, you know, we definitely know that Naru uh, is physically gifted and can throw a hatchet and invent things like rope hatchet and has a symbiotic relationship with his dog. But how is she in hand-to-hand combat? Guess what? Real fucking good, because she kills these dudes pretty easily. So Naru frees Sari, and Raphael returns uh, with one less leg. Hey, it's Raphael. He's back. In one less leg Hey, form. why is he so sad? <laughs> um, so Raphael t- offers to teach Naru how to use the gun in exchange for her help. So Naru helps by removing the slap bracelet from Raphael's leg, uh, where he got his leg cut off. Meanwhile... We check in on the Predator, Gorilla Gluing His Wounds. Uh, he Gorilla Glues His Wounds with what I like to call a skin pin, because it, uh, it like makes new skin. Skin pin, trademark and copyright, 17 or 18th century Predator Industries. So, Naru, you said that she removes a slap bracelet from Raphael's leg. Yeah, it's that laser slap bracelet. And so, not laser, razor. And so, Raphael just has like this stump of a leg. And so, she, while we see the Predator, like, you know, using a little skin pin to fix his wounds, we see Naru just kind of like slapping some some spices onto this stump, which is fucking gross. And Raphael has a line here 
where you know he's he's imploring Naru to hurry up with this healing this that he's getting for free and he's like please it hurts and it was one of those lines where it's not supposed to completely take you out of the movie but it just caught me at the right time where it did because I'm like man it's 1719 i just imagine life hurts you know what i mean so for him as a character in this movie to bring up that something that he's in pain or that something hurts it just it feels like it like like complaining didn't exist yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, no shit, it hurts. And so she's like, well, tell me how to use this gun after she shoves. Oh, first of all, she shoves his mouth full of those flowers, the orange flowers that cool the blood, right? And she's like, all right, tell me how to use this gun. And again, Naru, impressive here, is a quick fucking study because he just tells her once how to use the gun. At some point he takes and he's like, uh, powder here. But other than that, she's like, yep, got it. Man, I would not. I'm not that kind of learner, David. I would have been like, all right, show me how to watch it. And then I got to watch the YouTube video again. And then I got to, and then I'm going to forget instantly. So I got to rewatch that video, you know, but she just, she gets told once. She's like, yep, it's in the, it's in the brain books. Well, her brain hasn't been rotted by the Pokemon. Oh, I love those Pokemon, but the damage they have done to my brain, David. So Naru goes to inspect a noise and Raphael is left to fend for himself as the predator shows up to camp. And, and thankfully Raphael ate some of the orange Tutsia. And it lowered his temperature, but he gives himself up when he screams in pain, and then he gets murdered by the Predator. Because that's Predator, like Predators of old movies, has got heat vision, right? Thermal vision. We see a couple, like, th- <laughs> thermy shots earlier in the movie when we when you go to the, the Pred cam. And so when the Predator's, like, looking around with thermal vision, because Raphael's blood is so cool, he just shows up as a blue blob. And then, however, the Predator steps on Raphael's stump and Raphael screams in pain and gets instantly killed by the predator. Bad beat, Raphael. You know what I mean? He did everything right. He's got the blood cooling flowers. He's trying not to move. But then when a predator steps on your stumpy leg after it just got cut off, you're gonna scream. I feel bad for Raphael here. He's just, there's, there's no weakness on his part. It's just, it's a bad beat, man. Oh, yeah, especially, you know, you've taken the Orange Totsia, you're like, luck is on my side. I did not even know this would be beneficial to me. So you think you're going to ride that horseshoe all the way, but uh, you do not. You certainly do not. But then the Predator, he's about to kill Sorry. Oh, no, the world's best dog. But then Tabe returns on a horse and knocks off the Predator's hunting helmet. Now we see the Predator's face for the real time gross. Nauru returns. In time to figure out the third act, Tabe and Naru take turns distracting the Predator, fighting it. Tabe bows the shit out of the Predator. Arrow, arrow, arrow. It was awesome. Before realizing the Predator has him in checkmate. So Tabe offers some final words of encouragement to Naru before getting spiked to death. Uh, with his last bit of strength, Tabe stabs the Predator, allowing Naru to escape. And the Predator gives Tabe the old death blow. I call this action scene, time's up for Tabe. Because, David, you had to know Tabe was going to die. I mean, if you look at the characters whose death would hit emotionally for our hero, Naru, our options are three. We have um, the mom, Aruka, who is not going to leave her camp. So that's, you know, I mean, maybe the Predator can go kill, <laughs> kill a bunch of people in the camp. But, you know, it looks like the Predator is steering clear of that. We have Sari, the dog we already know is not going to get killed. And so, yeah, as soon as we meet Tabe in this movie, it's like, well, this dude's going to die. So when he died, I mean, it does suck, but you kind of, I kind of felt it was coming the whole movie. So I wasn't um, shook because of it. Tabe, some really, some serious kick-ass moves here before he dies. So no slouch, no slouch for Tabe. Oh, no, this was, this was the way to go out. Even his last words were exceptional. Like, if I can time it so that I can look at someone and say, 
bring it home. And right before I'm slaughtered, that's a pretty good exit to me. Uh, one thing I want to mention about this sequence, and we kind of teased it a little bit with the field pursuit earlier, where you just see, you know, the the invisible motions in the in the in the grass, you know, as it's pursuing Naru. Uh, we also see it with the you know with the fight with the wolf in the field. This movie, I'm realizing does an exceptional job of making you dread wide shots and open spaces because there's a, there's a there are a few moments in this fight where it's a wide shot you see Tabe you see Naru and they're just kind of standing waiting for the predator and in that moment you realize this movie has established a reputation of having a wide shot and still having the predator there appear and slaughter somebody so for this movie to you know it's very easy to create dread out of claustrophobia. It's very easy to create dread out of the dark, but for them to create dread out of daylight, for them to create dread out of, you know, expanse, I thought that was a really awesome aspect to this movie. Yeah. It feels like they kind of understand what the predator is too, because the predator is not your normal uh, action movie villain. He's more like a horror movie villain because the way the predator is, you know, more or less unkillable and the idea that the predator can strike from anywhere at any time like that, you know, that feels more in line with like Michael Myers than it does. Again, James Caan in the movie Eraser. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jay. All right, rest in power, King. But yeah, no, you're, you're definitely right. Like the, when the Predator disappears for a second and we get a wide shot of Tabe, like you're just like, oh, fuck Tabe. We don't see the Predator and that is bad news. But with that in mind, Mac, I, I need to have a little bit of a discussion because I'm an idiot. I, I'm a bit of a dummy and, and I know uh, you've done a ton of research. So maybe you could help me out here. The, the helmet logistics have me a little baffled here. As far as like the the helmet shoots arrows or, you know, spikes or, you know, murder weapons independent of it resting on the predator's face. Do you, do you know what I'm trying to say here? Can you help me kind of extrapolate what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So no matter where the predator points the gun, the bullets will hit a set target. And the set target is wherever the predator's hunting helmet is targeting in the moment. So using the helmet's little like triple, like triangle laser scope, if I'm looking straight ahead at a rabbit, right? But I stick my left arm out and shoot the gun, you know, 90 degrees away from the target. It doesn't matter. The bullets will still, you know, they'll make a turn in midair and they'll travel back and hit the thing that I am uh, targeting with my helmet. So it's like the way the helmet is targeting affects the direction of the bullets, not you know, the direction of the actual thing that fired the bullets, if that makes sense. I feel like I gave an overly wordy explanation. Watch the movie if you're having trouble grasping it. Well, that's the thing, because I'm watching the movie, and it makes sense to me. Don't get me wrong. Like, I understand what it's doing, but I'm watching it with someone, and they kind of needed some help with it, and I had the hardest goddamn time explaining it. Like, it's a simple premise. It makes sense to me, but communicating it was just a fucking nightmare for me. Yeah, so the the mask, the Predator's mask, gets knocked off his head. And so the laser sights is now, you know, it's pointing every which way. Like, imagine you had a laser pointer tied to your head, but then it got knocked off. The laser pointer is no longer pointing where you're looking. So when the Predator uses uh, the gun to try and shoot Sari, the bullets, instead of going into Sari, they, you know, veer off and then hit whatever the the downed laser pointer is pointing at. And you know, it might be like, oh, it's good news for sorry. Well, it's also Chekhov's laser pointing helmet because we're going to see it later in the movie. Now, Tabe, we mentioned earlier, with his last bit of strength, takes the wolf skull that the Predator has been keeping around his belt like a real creep, and he stabs the Predator with it right in the leg, 
And that one last stab allows Naru to escape. You got to think here, this is Tabe going for it, right? Because Tabe and his tribe, is he going to go down as a badass? Yes, of course. But is he a Hall of Fame badasser? Is he a first ballot Hall of Fame badass? Because yeah, he did take down that lion. He did beat up the predator, but also he was war chief for what? A day? Not even. And so at this moment, you're like, well, yeah, he's pretty cool, but is he a legend? But the fact that after he got gored by the uh, Predator's Wolverine claws, his lungs at this point, just two sacks of blood. The fact that he still like took a wolf skull and stabbed the Predator, allowing Nara to escape. I got to say, first ballot, Comanche Badass Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Yeah, he knew his reign was a lame duck presidency. Uh, he knew he was just going to go down as like the William Henry Harrison of Chiefs. But uh, yeah, he pulled it out in the end. We cut to a scout returning to camp where everyone in camp learns of the hunting party's demise. Uh, Ruka thinks her kids are dead. Oh, no. But the next morning we check in on Nara. Where is she, David? Uh, She's going to wake up along the river. And across the way, she spots the lone surviving trapper, Big Beard, uh, enjoying a French shower. You know, David, a French shower is is when you like... Instead of taking a full shower, you're just going like, to clean yourself up in a sink. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, he's you. giving a, he's just doing the same thing. He just founds a river and kind of just throwing water at himself with his hands. A classic. This might actually be the original French shower. We are mastering international relations. <laughs> uh, so Nauru thinks about shooting him, but decides to knock him out instead. Big Beard awakes to find Nauru has slap braceleted his leg clean off. Nauru says some cool shit to Big Beard before taking some orange tootsia and going into cool mode. Yeah, so real quick, back to Aruka when she learns the news from the scout that the hunting party is dead. She's like, uh, she's got some sort of animal hide, and I guess she's cleaning it or prepping it. Not the furry part, but the part that was once attached to skin. And uh, I got to say, it's it's real gross. And uh, <laughs> there's something about it which is like, I can't tell what's, I don't know. But yeah, she's, she, and then when she finds out that her kids might be dead, that right back to work. Aruka, she's a, she's a tough one. Yeah, this fur isn't going to scrape itself off of this hide, so let me get back to work on that. Full disclosure, David, I did watch this movie on Hulu, and if there's a Hulu plan that allows you to not have commercials, I don't have it. But I was watching it late at night, and this is the point of the movie, right before this scene, where I started to blink, and I was like, oh man, I'm getting sleepy, we got to finish this another night. So right when we see Naru wake up on the river is when I, you know, hit to be continue on this movie. So the next night, when we start the movie back up again, we start up the scene where Big Beard awakens to find out that Naru cut off his fucking leg. And I was like, did we miss a scene? When did, <laughs> when did Naru become a leg cutter off person? That She definitely levels up her own brutality here, right? Yeah, it's like she was just washing blood off of herself a moment ago and now she's acquiring more blood on herself it's it, yeah it didn't that is a really curious place to <laughs> pause and pick back up i don't know what part of the brain uh she hit with the butt of that rifle or that flintlock pistol but apparently that part of the brain allows you to sleep through your leg being cut off uh which is <laughs> amazing maybe she gave him some like sleepy flowers or something because she is a healer uh, maybe. Um, I'll tell you what, though. When he wakes up and rats are gnawing at his, on his amputated leg, almost marked out. Almost marked <laughs> out there. Yeah, that was definitely... I almost JFC'd there, so there we go. But Nauru's got some cool lines. She's got some cool kill lines for him. She started, you know, she amputated his leg to set a trap for the Predator. And she even says to, the, to Big Beard, she's like, you bled my brother, so now you bleed. And I'm just like, this whole moment is like me in a courtroom buying everything the attorney's saying. I'm just like, yep. Yep, you blame my brother. Yep. 
And so she even says, like, everybody underestimates me. You know, kind of the same uh, message we got from the beginning of Charlie's Angels, where it's like, women aren't perceived as a threat. They're not perceived as hunters or skilled or anything. You can't see that I'm killing you. And I'm just, yep, 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 yep. This is great. This is really, really great stuff. And yeah, the Predator does not perceive her as a threat because enter the Predator. Uh, so the Predator is going to ignore Nauru completely and kill Big Beard instead. So Predator is admiring his new skull trophy when Nauru sneaks up behind him and blows off his hunting helmet with the gun. Uh, then Nauru takes the helmet and sets up a trap. And how? That's right. By retaining the information she learned earlier in the movie. Oh, that's classic movie shit. You gotta do that. You gotta remember shit from earlier in the movie. I wonder how much stuff I've forgotten, like, in the movie of my life that would have been useful. Where it's like, someone's watching today and they're like, you idiot, that's not where the, that's not where you put the microphone. And it's like, I don't know this stuff. <laughs> so the Predator now, he's going after Naru. He finally is like, okay, this, this person, I've, I have underestimated her, like many people have done. But now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to track Nauru down and kill her. Predator's going to follow the blood trail all the way to Big Beard's leg. Uh, and that's where Nauru ambushes the Predator, as does Sari. It's time for our final action set piece. I'm going to call this action set piece two Predators. Because now David Prey has become Predator. And uh, guess what? Nauru's hunting the Predator now. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, so Nauru and the Predator fight. Nauru chops off the Predator's arm, which I did not think was possible prior to this movie. I don't quite know the mythology all that well. Uh, they fight some more, and the Predator tries cutting off Nauru's head with his shield. He gets her uh, kind of pinned up against some rocks, but Nauru rips out one of the Predator's tusks and stabs him with it. That is going to be markout moment number six for me. Uh, the tusk rip and the stab. Like, five movies we've seen those tusks, and this is the first time I'm seeing somebody use those as weapons, and I lost my mind at that. So Naru is like hiding in this tree waiting to strike. And the moment she leaps into action, there's a wide shot of Naru jumping. And you see that she's like jumping, headed straight down for a sneak attack on the Predator. And that shot was just fucking awesome. It just was like, shit just got real. Naru's going after the Predator. That was a markout moment for me. That shot did it. Now, you say that Naru chops off Predator's arm. Yeah, technically, but I, I think the Predator chopped off his own arm. I rewatched this. I rewound this scene a couple times because I, I couldn't really figure it out. But he had his like, you know, fold out, you know, shield, the very sharp one that he used for that tree heading earlier. And I think that uh, she picked up his spear. I think it was a spear, something. And she like hit the predator's own razor shield arm into his other arm. And so I think the predator cut off his own arm, I think is what happened. I, I'm a little I'm a little lost in that sequence as far as the weaponry goes because you mentioned that and then you also mentioned the spear yeah because there's a moment there where she picks up the predator spear and she's getting ready to stab him with it and she kind of pauses like almost like the spear compels her to stop and she looks at it and she's kind of puzzled by it but then she uses it as a club instead so I'm like is the is the spear locked is there some sort of like code mechanism that she's not allowed to use it like do you, what is going on there i i think you're right i think this the spear was like coded to the predator where it cannot be thrown at him i mean it kind of was a little needless because then she just was like fine i'll just fucking club you with it like it, it was it, it saved him nothing so i mean uh yeah i, I think that's what happened yes so Nauru and the world's greatest dog, Sari, execute the AT-AT maneuver on the Predator. Uh, they trip him up with, with some ropes, uh, with the hatchet rope, rope hatchet. Rope hatchet did it again. Uh, they corral the Predator into Chekhov's bog sand. 
and the predator is in there for a little bit then he emerges but he's right in the middle of naru's trap naru set up the hunting helmet to shoot darts at the predator himself and naru defeats the predator with the strategy yeah so the predator points his gun right at naru and he pulls a trigger so naru's like do it do it fucking shoot me and so of course he shoots her but that bullet it, it's not gonna it doesn't matter where he's pointing the gun it matters where the laser sight is pointing to and that is right at him he kills himself so the predator is dead when Nauru realizes it, she marks out herself pretty much. She's like, she yells like, yeah, yeah, like just kind of, uh, or the Nauru version of that triumphant scream. And that level of like, I just fucking won emotion. I thought it was awesome. I personally marked out at her marking out. That was another mark out moment for me. Tremendously satisfying. You don't get enough people celebrating their own victories in action movies. So that was very awesome to see. So with that in mind, Nauru returns triumphant. Carrying the Predator's head. Gross. And Nauru is just in time to inspire a new generation of Comanche girls to become hunters. Which is good, because all of the other hunters in the tribe are dead. Nauru warns her tribe of the coming danger. The real Predator is the white man, right? So, uh, Sari gets the last line of the movie, just like Chewbacca. But unlike that scene-stealing Chewbacca, who goes, Sari just gives a couple barks, because Sari's a, a good boy. He's a good boy. So in order to, to tell her tribe, right that there's a danger in the woods. She tosses this flintlock pistol to the previous war chief who looks at it. And I was like, hold on a fucking second. Is that the same flintlock pistol that the predator gave Danny Glover in predator two at the end when he kills the predator? Yeah, it fucking is. And I was like, Whoa, how the fuck did this gun get to Danny Glover? I don't know, but I thought it was awesome. Another markout moment for me. Also, they're like, Oh wow. This, you know, cause Naru walks in and she's got the Predator's, you know, neon green blood smeared on her face. And Aruka, her mom, walks up and she's got the stick that indicates that, you know, whoever's holding the stick is a new war chief. And the boom right there, they make Naru the new war chief. Again, no interview, nothing. It's just kind of like, honestly, it's kind of like whoever's hot right now. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, look at this awesome beaded blank you're the new war chief this person new war it's like whoever's trending on comanche twitter that week that's the new war chief you get you know look does she deserve to be war chief i mean at some point yes right because naru was awesome but i mean what's the system here you know what i mean the second somebody <laughs> comes in and they've like killed an, alli- or an alligator are they going to be the war chief we gotta have some rules so david then we have the in- the movie's over right yeah uh, yeah sure yeah we get some end credits the end credits are has a stylized art depicting scenes from the movie and i looked this up it was done by a artist brent uh learn or brent learned and the art is supposed to be like 1700s comanche rock art or ledger art because apparently they found some old art like in the ledger books of french and english settlers and you see this stylized art is depicting scenes from the movie so basically you get a recap of the entire movie you know scene by scene with this this rock art style art and then you get the title of the movie again pray however david then you get a one final image and it is of the tribe. And guess who, or guess what we see coming in the, through the clouds? Three alien spaceships. Oh, so here we go. We get a sequel tease right there. I did not expect that. I thought it was awesome. Final markout moment for me. They got another one. That's very cool. Yeah, it was, it was a nice way to wrap that up. You know, you, you get the tease that you want at the end of this movie without it feeling tacked on or without feeling like it was a marketing ploy. That It was a really fitting solid end to this movie. Yeah, you got like a Marvel post credit scene uh, without having to do a Marvel post credit scene. And that is the end of the movie. 
Oh, David, that was exhausting. How many markout moments did you have? I had six. How many did you have? Also six. That is quite a bit. Is that how many we had for the raid too? Somewhere around there. I want to say about six. Yeah. I'll leave it up to the the nerds, the stat heads to remember that. (laughs) (laughs) I I also like the, you know, uh, this is a weird kind of uh, deep dive into the, the stats on this episode, but like the variety of markout moments that we had were different. Like mine were more blood and guts, but yours were more the artistic touches. Um, And I think, you know, this movie rewards both. This was a stellar movie. Yeah. You definitely had some like uh, um, action-y peaks. You had some style peaks and you had some emotional peaks. This movie, you know, it, it, it hit them all, touched all the bases. Is there another baseball or sports metaphor we can make? It shot all the baskets, David. It wore all the pads. It hit all the rocket jacks. All right, Max. So is this someone's favorite movie? I'm going to say, yeah. I mean, this movie definitely good enough to be someone, somebody's favorite movie. So for sure. If not already, it's just a matter of time. You know, I think the biggest, my biggest concern about this movie and really about the direction we're heading with streaming in general is that I don't want this movie to get forgotten. Like, I feel like if this movie had had a proper theatrical release, we could have had a moment with it. We could have established it in the zeitgeist and kind of placed it in the history and, you know, in the Predator franchise. But by just releasing it on streaming, I worry that it had a window of like three weeks and then we'll never think about it again. So hopefully, you know, this episode and hopefully, you know, we can kind of keep the conversation going. And so eventually it'll find the person that loves this movie. Yeah, no, I think this episode in particular, David, I, I fully expect to be invited to the red carpet premiere of Prey 2, More Prey. Um, <laughs> but no, apparently this movie, I don't know if it was like the biggest Hulu movie of all time or just had its biggest sort of like opening or whatever but it definitely definitely did well for hulu from what i read but what does that mean does that mean the next movie we get a theatrical release or does that mean the next movie you know is going to get dumped on hulu again because you're right there is something to even like shows like stranger things or something like that like shows you know you can watch in a weekend if you want to they just kind of like you talk about them for a while and, and they're gone Shows with staggered releases, like, you know, a lot of HBO stuff or like The Mandalorian, like that conversation does continue a little bit longer. But with a movie, you're right. It's just, it. even if Prey 2 comes out and it's fucking awesome, it could just be like something we all did that one weekend and then we don't talk about ever again. Time for punch-ups. David, how would you punch this movie up? How, anything you'd fix or change? I don't know if I would. Like, I feel like anything I would recommend makes the movie dumber. You know, I kind of joked about Sorry being a human being more of a sidekick, but you don't, that's going to lend humor that this movie doesn't need. If you try to tighten up the first half of the movie, if you try to pace it more like an action movie, then you lose the emotional depth that you get from the second half of it. So I'm not, I'm not sure I have a note for this movie. I think it's pretty fucking solid. David, there's a moment in this movie, which I feel like was a huge missed opportunity. So right when the predator is going to die, so he shoots his gun right at Naru, but of course his laser sign is pointing right at him. So that bullet flies right around like Yondu's arrow from Guardians of the Galaxy. And there's a moment when the Predator notices that the laser sight is on him and that the bullet is coming right towards him. And what he does is he turns his head to the side and he's like, huh? and I just like, oh man, at that moment, whatever the Predator word for, oh fuck or oh shit is, like have him say it. I just wanted a moment where like, he realizes he just shot himself and he just goes, ugh, glorp. You know what I mean? Just something there. I just wanted to hear 
what is the pre- what is the yaucha word for ah oh, fuck me or something like that? I'm on board with this, but one uh, one stylistic choice that you need to make. So when the predator says glarp, do you want it to say like shit in subtitles, or do you just want to leave the glarp hanging for your own interpretation? Hmm, I think about interpretation. I'd be fine with just a glarp or something like that. If it, if it wanted to go so far as to put it in subtitles, then it needs to be like a fuck me. Just really go for the joke or something like that. Or maybe give him more time. Maybe he sees it coming and he just lets out a sigh, puts his hands up on his hip, just shakes his head, look at Naro and be like, yeah, you got me or something like that. But yeah, I just wanted a little bit more when he realizes that he just uh, cooked his own goose. Yeah. Okay, David, even though, first of all, let's go into the Punch Mountain video store real quick. This is an all action movie video store. I pulled some strings. Even though this is a streaming release, I got three physical copies of this thing. What subcategories in this all-action video store would you put this movie in? Where are you going to stock it? Okay, first one, I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit. Because I know, I know you said this was like the most streamed movie in Hulu history or whatever. But I'm still going to put it in in case you missed it. Because not everybody has Hulu. Not everybody is even embracing streaming. Especially if they're coming to the Punch Mountain Video Store and Gift Shop. Uh, so that first one's going there. The second one, I kind of want to do like intellectual property action like sort of like a director's wall or sort of like a performer's wall but for the movies that have more than like three or four in a series like Mm -hmm. i was thinking about you know like james bond used to be that way it would be all click 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 you know 25 bond movies in this one chunk so i I think as we build stuff out and get into more uh, franchises i think that might be the way to go third one i i think we don't have a category or we don't have a section in the video store for movies that make you say gross and this one certainly did so i think we're gonna add that third copy in gross (laughs) i agree i think those first two categories are great i would put this in a a third wall called uh, the dog lives just so you know right you don't even have to look it up you just know instantly that no dogs die in this movie that's uh that's absolutely that's the way to go all right david now it's time to look upward at punch mountain itself and we discover this movie's place in the definitive ranking of all action movies. Right now, to recap, at the top of the mountain, it's Raid 2, followed by The Matrix, Hard Target, The Rock, Cliffhanger, Charlie's Angels 2019, Deadly Prey, and then at the bottom, at the gift shop as you enter the mountain area, it's Chappie. So David, first of all, before the rocks fall off and the golden letters appear, where where would you put this on Punch Mountain? I have to imagine near the top. If it's me, you know, I don't know if it quite cracks the classics yet. I, I consider the Raid 2 and the Matrix in a, in a kind of a class by themselves. But I think Prey is right in that conversation for a number of reasons. I think the action, when it does get to it, is phenomenal. I think it's really well done. I think this movie is well made in a lot of respects. And I think it's also tough to come in, you know, this is the fifth movie in the Predator series, and to come in 25 years, 35 years after the original, and bring a fresh angle on it. Like, this feels a lot like um, when I was reading comic books and they had, you know, Gotham by Gaslight and it was Batman in turn of the century London hunting Jack the Ripper. You didn't take it as canon. It was just this fun little thing. And you took this old character and made it new and made it inventive and original. I give this movie a ton of credit. I think I think it ends up near the top. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this movie solid from start to finish. It's got a real visceral quality to it. Uh, some might say this movie uh, grabs you by the head, rips out your skull and spine, and then never stops ripping out your skull and spine. I don't know. Some say that, David, but not me. Even though I might be tempted to put it above the Matrix, I think the Matrix, where it may not feel as like 
you know, because the Matrix had a lot of like world building to do. It was definitely not as nonstop as this movie felt. I think you got to give the Matrix credit for its action being a little bit more visually inventive than this movie. And so I may, I don't think it would crack the top two just yet, but oh, David, those rocks are tumbling. There are the golden letters that are appearing on the face of the mountain. Oh my goodness. Look at that. Raid to the Matrix. Prey. Then Hard Target, The Rock, Cliffhanger, Charlie's Angels 2019, Deadly Prey, and Chappie. Next week, David, Eat, Pray, Love, our third in the Prey trilogy. <laughs> Finally, the circle can be closed. Oh, David, you hear that horn? Of course I do. That's for us. Yeah, it's not summoning predators for more murder. It's uh, calling us to action. Because, David, on this podcast, we talk a lot about fictional action heroes, but we also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting Austin Mutual Aid. Austin Mutual Aid is a grassroots organization whose mission is to redistribute supplies, food, and more to those in need. Colder temperatures are upon us, which is a very dangerous time for Austin's unhoused population, and groups like AMA work to keep people safe. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to Austin Mutual Aid. Also, for every review we get on iTunes, we'll add $1 to our donation. If, if you left a review on another platform, let us know. We'll count it. Up to a certain amount, obviously, just in case any bots out there want to bankrupt us. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air. For more information on Austin Mutual Aid or to donate directly to them, visit austinmutualaid.org. I live in Austin, Texas, but for those who live elsewhere, I encourage you to seek out groups local to your communities for opportunities to donate or volunteer. And that's going to do it for another week of Punch Mouth. Folks, don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain. Or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week, from 1978 and directed by Walter Hill, it's The Driver. We'll see you then, Mac. Bye. Bye.